And we and and did Dougie say that there's a new yeah, app? Was Dougie, <laughs> Dougie supposed did to this, say? He did this kind of like podcast, and it, he's like, I didn't think anyone would listen to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's like, Yeah, we're going to start writing, recording, and and suddenly it was like everywhere. And he messaged us on the group McFly WhatsApp and was like, Sorry about that. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> Just um, relaunched us. Yeah. Look. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. You're listening to Southern Podcast. Sapnin! Sapnin! You are listening to episode 233 of Sapnin Podcast featuring myself, Sean Smith, and my good friend, Morgan Richards. Yes, it's me, Morgan Richards, and I am uh, in Wonderland. If this is love, then love is easy. And I know this because the heart never lies. What a weird, weird intro. Um, that had nothing to do with any song titles of the next guest, so I don't know why he said all of those. Um, but yeah, this week's guest is Harry Judd of the Mighty McFly. Judd Weiser! Judd yes. Holly! Judd Meister! Well, what, what, yes. what else is uh, there? Judd Vane! Oh, <laughs> like Madvin. Oh, that's too good. Why did I not think of that till now? Judd Vane, look. Dig, bury me. Oh. Oh. The only one I had was um, Judd Judy, but that doesn't go anywhere, that's really. That's terrible. awful. Yeah, that's fucking awful. bad. Oh. Anyway, Galaxy Defenders, we're back with another one. The story of McFly is so layered with different timelines perspective and inferences we couldn't do just the one episode you might have heard danny jones join us on episode 227 recently confessing my appreciation for the first band i fell in love with and the mad thing is their team trusted us so much after how open the conversation was mental absolutely mental if we wanted to do more and as someone who's obsessed with this band couldn't say no so you might hear i tried i did try (laughs) i did try (laughs) so you might you might hear every member of mcfly on this in the coming weeks and months maybe uh fingers crossed but today it's all about harry judd what a drummer what a human and megastar 
Outside the band, he's done a lot of presenting for stuff like The One Show, One Strictly Come Dancing, and is someone I have always wanted to sit down with and ask some very nerdy questions. And here we are. Look, if you're a McFly fan or not, it's going to be hard for you not to be moved during this conversation. It's funny, it gets extremely deep, and he really reflects on some hard times for the band and his personal life that we don't really hear about in mainstream media. But this is someone you've always loved uh, for one reason or another as well, Sean. Yes, yes, I... um if you listen to the Danny episode, uh, like you said, 227, I mentioned that, uh, yeah, I met McFly years and years ago at Top of the Pops at the BBC Centre. I was with Fern Cotton and they came over excited because Lost Profits were currently recording at Top of the Pops at the time. So they wanted to go and see them. Yeah, it was lovely to meet those boys. I've known them for years now. Getting to see them become the super mega stars is amazing. They fully deserve it. But then at the same time, as we talk about in this conversation, they go on to do things like Slam Dunk, which is a moment that you will hear uh, be talked about later on, which is absolutely brilliant. Had a lot of time for uh, Harry. Um, got a lot of time for his brother Tom as well, who um, helped work on Start the Party, I believe, question mark. Mm. Might, have been, might have been Hope. Big love for the Judd family. Thank you very much for coming on and doing this. He won't listen to this. Because as we know, this is a podcast we expect nobody to listen to. Hey, so. a new tagline. We need, we need merch with that. We need merch with that. Yeah. A- not, my, not my words. The words <laughs> of Harold Judd. Yes. Live on television of all places. Oh, bastard. What a bastard. Uh, but I'm really grateful for this. It's mad how many crossovers <laughs> there is with all these different worlds. And you know, producer Jason Perry as well has got his fingers in all the pies. But... McFly have a new album, Power to Play, coming out on June 9th that is really inspired by 80s heavy metal and their emo influences. Their second single, God of Rock and Roll, is available to stream now. And they've just recently announced a huge tour across the UK for October and November, playing a bit more intimate venues, but in a lot of places they haven't got the chance to be at for quite a few years. Wait, I think it's wait on a sale now. Wait a sec. Their album comes out on June the 9th. They've planned this the same day that the Blackout comes back at Download Festival. <laughs> they are putting out a rock, an 80s rock album. Well, they thought everyone's going to be talking about rock and roll because That's you know, the return of yeah. rock and roll. So they might Real as well capitalise yeah. off of it at the In same time. There's been no rock and roll for eight years. <laughs> what, like, what, what the fuck has been it's happening? For it? Nothing. Like, no, Nothing. nobody's progressed. No, nobody's done no. well. Mm-mm. Nobody's fucking headlining the festival. This, you Mm-mm. know, there's not like no. nobody's done nothing. Wow, mad. Uh, anyway, we're, anyway, guys, we're all back June the 9th. Rock is back June the hey, 9th. Power to play. Yeah, June the 8th, the download is going to be very weird, but June the 9th is going to be full <laughs> of bloody rock. Hey, but yes, power to play, <laughs> and those tour dates are on sale now. It can be supported by our good friends in Lost Alone. Um, so it's going to be a very, very good time to celebrate. And throughout this conversation, Harry talks about everything from some really brutal honesty about certain albums and times for the band with outside influences, insane full circle moments that you won't believe, uh, his drum skills, secrets about the early days that we didn't even know. And I ask him about Just My Luck. And if you know, 
Yeah, no. So wait to hear about that <laughs> later on. But before we get into the conversation, just a reminder of always, if you enjoy what we do, if you want more laughs on Sapman Podcast and beyond, please go and check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Sapnin. Over there, there's a huge, wonderful community of people that get involved with everything we do. And it's just a giant, gigantic laugh. Yes, absolutely fantastic. Um, And yeah, just with that thing uh, that Morgan just said about if you know, you know, um, just to let you know, for anybody now who doesn't have a clue what he's on about, I was actually there when he discussed this and I still don't know what he's on about. So there you go. Um, (laughs) Patreon.com forward slash Shrapnel. Give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and fucking, you can give us a follow on TikTok, but it's probably bloody pointless. At Pod on all of them. S-A-P-P-E-N-I-N-P-O-D. S-A-P-P-E-N-I-N-P-O-D. Well, any further ado, this is Harry Judd on episode 233 of in Podcast. Uh, yes, it is, Sapnin! <laughs> Oh, check out the milk. The milk got a new video. It's quite good, actually. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What's happening? What's happening? Yes! Yes, <laughs> this week's guest is drummer, TV presenter, author, dancer, and fitness enthusiast, the mighty, mighty Harry Judd of McFly. Harry, how are you? Author. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm- <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm good. I'm great. I'm really good. I've, I've, uh, I've had a good morning. I've got kids at school. I'm in my son's room. I don't know if this is like filmed, but as you can see, I'm in my son's room because my other son is downstairs with my wife moaning. So here I am. I'm ready for you guys. How are you? 
I'm glad we can kind of be a little escape for you in the, in, in some forms then. It's a huge escape. My, yeah, my, one of my children is not at school. So when I suddenly said to my wife, like five minutes ago, Oh, I've got like a podcast for an hour. She was like, all oh, right. Yeah. You didn't tell me about that one. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. T- talking to the podcast. Um, <laughs> Uh, I've got the footage and Morgan can uh, put the sound in after this. You once described our podcast because Dougie came on our podcast early doors and he accidentally slipped up and mentioned there was new McFly music. And then ultimately the, the um, Sun newspaper got hold of it. And uh, so did everyone else. And told everyone. Yeah. So you described this wonderful, brilliant <laughs> podcast on, on television, which is on one of good my favorite. Britain. On Good Morning Britain. <laughs> What did I say? Oh, we're going to get oh, that happy Do you know what? I'm sweating. I'm sweating. <laughs> <laughs> you said the sentence. Yeah, what happened was, Dougie went on a podcast he thought nobody would listen to. And, <laughs> <laughs> and here we are today. Here we are. And here uh, we are today. How would the tables have turned? Yeah, uh, the turntables. No one's, yeah. no, no one's still listening. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That yeah, that is true. Our guests have got better, but we haven't got any more <laughs> listeners. Like it's <laughs> mental. Yeah, even a shout out on fucking GMTV or whatever. But you know, <laughs> that was like I felt like some sort of like tactical, like you know, leak that politicians do. It's like, it's like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it was fantastic. But yeah, oh, this morning as well, tickets went on sale for your tour, right? Nine o'clock. They did, yeah, literally like 40 minutes ago, yeah. Oh. Um, I know, I know. You'll have a ticket update now, 12 (laughs) (laughs) o'clock. Yeah, yeah, like nothing, yeah, I've switched my phone, nothing, yeah, but yeah, fingers crossed, man. And it's just slightly smaller, like, venues as well for us, so I'm kind of hoping it's, (laughs) I'm hoping it sells out quite quickly. Um, But we'll see, we'll see. Is it quite interesting now, though, like being able to do a longer run of shows in smaller venues? Because, I mean, obviously McFly have always played big arena shows, outdoor festival settings, that kind of thing. So going back to these kind of smaller rooms in some places you maybe haven't really visited, played before, it must be quite refreshing in a lot of different ways. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. Like, We had this weird situation where we came back in, well, we had like a three-year hiatus, came back 2019, announced an arena tour. And then obviously because of COVID, that got postponed. And then it, and then we had an album out. And so that tour suddenly became the Young Dumb Thrills tour. But it was in arenas and a lot of the tickets were based on like, oh, we're back. And I think people were like, oh, yeah, let's go see McFly. So like ultimately a lot of those people in arenas don't actually have your new, like the new album. So you, you're kind of playing a lot of the hits again. And and. And also, because this arena is bigger venues, as you said, the tour's not as long. And it feels like, you know, it's like, it's like 12 dates or something. Before you know it, it's done. And we're a bit like, oh, that's a bit shit. It's, it doesn't really feel like a tour. So for this album, um, yeah, we, we all just wanted to do smaller venues, partly because you get to have a longer tour. And also because, you know, we've, we've done the whole like nostalgia thing with, with McBusted, which was amazing, but that was, you know, hugely based around kind of nostalgia and, and also like an exciting new concept. But then coming back again in 2019, doing a tour where you're playing the hits and then some of these summer festivals, it's like family crowds or race courses. And, you know, even when we played Slam Dunk, and we played Glastonbury, people still want to hear the hits, right? 
So, which is fine. Like we're very grateful that we have those songs to, to kind of fill out a set list, but it, it does get a little bit like, and particularly with this new album, which I'm so fucking excited about. And all of us are, we want to play the majority of the album. So if you put on a smaller tour, the likelihood is it's going to be the hardcore fans that want to come. And those fans buy the new stuff. They listen to the new stuff and they're not going to care. They don't really want to hear the all about you. And obviously, and they want to hear the new stuff. So that's the kind of thinking behind it. Um, yeah. How was working with a friend of the podcast, Stephen Battelle? Steve, oh, mate, Steve was just incredible. Um, so on our, on our sixth album, we had, we worked with uh, Rat Boy. Do you know Rat Boy? You probably yeah, do. Yeah. Jason Perry, yeah. And he was an amazing fifth sort of guy to have around in the creative process. It almost sort of dilutes the potential tension between like band members and, and writing and recording. And Steve kind of did a similar job to what Rat Boy did on Young Gun Thrills and is a sort of almost like a, a, a creative like channel to go through between the four of you, you know, and someone to be able to obviously bring new ideas to the table, but also be a good barometer or like of, of what is shit and what is kind of cool. Um, but Steve is, is just like us. He's like a massive nerd, like complete like music nerd, guitar nerd, just like Danny and Dougie are complete music nerds. They just nerd out on, <laughs> Like amps and guitars and production stuff, I literally know fucking nothing about anything like technical. <laughs> I literally I can just hit the drums. Like, um, so yeah, Steve, like hugely enthusiastic, just like a big kid. I mean, Steve and I did massively connect on Alan Partridge and Dire Straits, so that was we had a big, nice, nice, lovely stuff. Yeah, man, and he was just an amazing energy to have, and brought some some fucking great songs to the table as well and and yeah we had a lot of fun yeah he's like a he's like a little guitar wizard isn't he he's just like he's like a little when i think of steve in the studio with somebody i imagine him just just to be like a little um yeah like a little old wizard in the corner that you go to and go i was out steve and he's like ah, i think you'll find yeah, you need to. <laughs> let me let me get my 72 neck sg out and we'll find out yeah yeah, he literally is like also like zero ego. Like he's he's very easy to give suggestions to, or like if he has ideas and you say, "Listen, what about this or that?" He's totally you know very easy to work with. And I'm sure Danny or Dougie told you this, but when he came in and we first met him, and he came into our studio and like came into the live room and picked up a guitar, and we were chatting for like five minutes, and Danny was like, "Oh, I heard you're the riff man." He's like, "Go on, play a riff." You know, mm. he just started fucking playing this riff and headbanging and he's got this like long black hair <laughs> and this sounds so fucking corny and not real like a scene from a film that you think that didn't happen but it literally did it was like oh that's cool and then i went and sat on the drums dougie got his bass out and we just started jamming this song and literally started just playing this riff and kept was sort of turned into a verse and then i kind of went to this halftime bit and that became a chorus and we knew it like that literally just became a song and that that is actually the last song on the album um wow which is yeah we actually actually tuned so yeah he just brought this enthusiasm and this energy to kind of just yeah yeah kind of embrace this, this sound that we wanted to, to create yeah i've always felt like jason perry's been the fifth member for your band really and then seeing you also bring in 
Vital in the background now, just that energy alone is is crazy. But we um, spoke to Danny quite recently and he was talking about the kind of evolution of McFly Sound and how on every record you all kind of try to agree on a theme or you all bring ideas and, and mix things up within that. Is there any little nuances or ideas you've enjoyed more recently in the last few albums compared to the early days? Like, is there anything you're really happy you've tried to incorporate or things you've done differently or anything like that? For me personally, like this album and our fourth album have been by far the most enjoyable processes. Um, And that's purely because we kind of stripped away all the production tricks and hooks that you can get from, like I said, I know fuck, I know nothing about production. <laughs> all the production tricks that you can get from computers. Um, <laughs> oh, for a second, I thought he was just going to like make, like, oh yeah, so you put it into like the, the flange wand and then once it, once the song goes through the flange wand, just making words Mate, up like, uh. literally, I know, I know what the volume knob does. Like that's it. I'm like, mate, fucking turn it up a bit. Um, but like, the problem, like the, man, I could, you know, go really deep on this and yet talking of the evolution of the fly, but you know, like our fourth, our fourth album, I love our first three albums, but our fourth album, it was like a perfect evolution of that. Right. And, and my biggest regret is not just taking our fourth album and progressing on that with our fifth. Right. And our fifth album, we went completely left field. I think people were like, we're in a weird place in life. And, you know, I think there was this thing of like, record label sort of being and management being like, you know, great artists evolve and they change and they do these drastic turns. And we were kind of still quite impersonal, like, per- like impressionable and like, we're like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sweet. And we went out to Atlanta, worked with this amazing producer, Dallas Austin, amazing songwriter, but he's R and B, like he's pop R and B. And we've got on really well with it. Like we had an amazing time out and we kind of got completely caught up in it. And, but I barely recorded any drums. It was a lot of like synths and, and you know, some good songs, but it just, I think even for our fans as well, it just, it completely confused things for us as a band. And then, you know, the band got back on track in 2011. I'd done Strictly, Dougie had done, I'm a celebrity. And whilst I was finishing off Strictly, the guys had gone away to Wales and written like four or five, like awesome songs, which again, was back in the right place sound wise. And, but because we'd won these big TV shows, the label were like, oh, you've got to do greatest hits, go back on a big tour. And it was like, yeah, okay, kind of makes sense. And we didn't want to tag these new, exciting sounding songs onto that because it wouldn't make sense with all the hits that we were going to be playing on TV and stuff. So we did this song called Love Is Easy, which fit in more. And then those kind of songs were really exciting, kind of, you know, two years go by, you know what it's like when songs, you kind of start to question them, like, is this really right? And then McBusted happened. So, Again, the sound evolution of McFly was on pause. And then we had three years off. And then we kind of came back together. And it was a bit like, like, what, what band are we now? Like, what should we be doing? Should we be embracing our age and writing songs for Radio 2? And like, what's the all about you version of, of McFly in 2021? You know, kind of not really know what to do. And also there was tension in the band. So any idea that was brought to the table, it's like, yeah, that's great, man. So we kind of just recorded everything and anything. And which led to an album, Young Dumb Thrills, which was, it's got some really good songs on it. But to me, that band didn't know who they are. And so then when we came around to this album, fuck me, this is a long-winded answer. I'm sorry. No, 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 this is, no, 
when we came around to this album, it was like, right, it's cleared the air with the last album. Like, this is it. Who is McFly in 2022? Like, um, and I think there was some differences of, of opinions, you know, in the band, kind of. And Jason Perry, who you obviously know, we were in the studio. There were a couple of songs had been written. And the thing is, I'll say with our band, like, you've got, like, Tom, right? He doesn't write bad songs. Right? He just fucking, he just writes good, good melodies, right? So sometimes, sometimes that's really difficult because Tom brings in a song and he plays it. He's like, yeah, that's amazing. Like, of course we should record that. But then you kind of like, you, you're kind of going, but is that the kind of band that we want to sound like? And that's a really difficult thing to be saying to your main songwriter, like, dude, like, great song, but I don't think it's right for the band. It kind of took Jason, an outsider, and, you know, and equally with Danny, Danny you know, Danny and, and Dougie were writing these songs and we played them to Jason and he was like, look, good songs, but they're just a bit boring. Like, what, like, what, what are these songs? Who is this band? And so he's like, like, what is McFly to you guys? Like, let's have an open or potentially awkward conversation about how you see it. And, and it was like, guitars, drums, like why did we all start playing our instruments in the first place? What are the bands that we love? Like what is it we feel proud about our band, like our, our live shows and and how people come and see us live and they're like, oh shit, you're actually pretty good, you know? And and what excites us about being in the band? You know, in our last album, there's like three or four songs, if that, when we got to rehearse, when we got to rehearsals, we thought, oh yeah, I'd like to play that live. The rest of it was all a bit mid-tempo and just a bit boring. So it was like live element, like guitars, fun, like don't take ourselves too seriously, but take, you know, the music seriously. Um, and that conversation basically set the precedent for this album. And for me, I just said to Jason, look, I just want to record some drums. I just want to <laughs> really dig really dig into like, make the drums sound amazing. Let's really like work on drum parts that within the songs. Cause on the last album it was a bit like, Oh, let's, do this groove and then loop it and then, so, you know, that kind of shit. I don't know the, the technical terms, but it was just a bit like, this is a bit, you know. And it was, again, just like our fourth album, set up in the studio, just guitars, bass and drums, and that's it. And I think that's where we are at our best. Or if not, it's certainly where we're at our happiest. Yeah. Well, Harry, I, I really appreciate you being so honest with that. And I think that whole timeline was really interesting because like stepping back as a fan, like I'm someone who's grown up with McFly and all your different sounds. And I've always appreciated that everything does sound a little bit different. Like my favorite albums from you are Radioactive and Wonderland. But just explaining all that then, like there's so much outside influences and other things you have to deal with because of the position McFly are in and being that kind of rock band but in a boy band kind of mainstream atmosphere in in some ways as well and I'm sure like it's crazy to try and balance all those things and that's what people don't understand that it's not just you know the four of you you make a record you do a tour what's next let's repeat it there's like all these mad opportunities you get to do that you want to take but then it's kind of like a weird mixture. Is it being kind of surreal sometimes to keep up with all that and, and to try and balance it, to be a healthy band, but also want to fulfill these other things that come up because why wouldn't you? It's such a great opportunity to do that. Yeah, it's, it's so true. It's really difficult, you know, and, and like, yeah, sometimes the opportunities that come out are like big commercial opportunities that are exciting. And, 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 you know, we, we kind of figured out early on actually, like, 
credibility comes through success, like not through being cool, right? It's like if you're playing massive venues, that's aspirational and that's that's success and that's credibility. And I think the difficulty is, is we've had our hits through All About You, obviously, and, and we have such a wide range of fans. And so you have some people, right? Like, for example, my wife, my mum, her mum, Some certain songs, they're like, oh, McFly, just brilliant. And like, your Radio 2 listener, and, and it's like, oh, McFly, great. Oh, I love McFly. And that's a really nice feeling. Like, oh, great. Like, that's cool. We make people feel good. And like our single Happiness of our last album, it's like a, it's a pop song. It's a feel good song. We play it at these family festivals. Everyone's singing. And it's like, that's, that's a vibe, right? But then also, you have your hardcore fans that love us because they got into guitars. When they were kids, um, they heard Wonderland and they heard Radioactive. And we were like a stepping stone band to some heavier music for them. And they're kind of confused. And it's like, this isn't the band that I know that they can be. And, and so it's really difficult to, sometimes to know what to be. And I think, um, you know, the, as soon as we've released, like, Where Did All The Guitars Go? And uh, other single, Gotta Rock and Roll, which I've seen so many... A lot of guys actually in their twenties and thirties who I think were probably between the ages of seven and twelve who were like, fuck, I got into guitar music because of McFly. Because when you're that age, you look at us, you think, oh, they're really cool. And, and they're like, I've seen them being like, oh, finally, like, this is what I've been waiting for from McFly. Um, and that's why I think it's confusing to some people that I see on their, like, their favorite bands is like McFly. My Chemical Romance. Some people would be like, what? McFly? They don't get it. <laughs> yeah. they, see, they see us as all about you, obviously, cheesy pop band, boy band, whatever. Whereas the heart, like the fans that really know, they know actually what we can do. So I think what it is, is this time it's like, none of that kind of, we should be the McFly that some people expect us to be. We're like, fuck it. We're just going to do some songs that we feel is right for us. Um, and you know, where did all the guitars go and got a rock and roll to me are the, are the more pop sounding songs on this record. Like I was kind of more tempted to release other songs that were a bit more like, well, like, wow, I, you know, but at the same time, you still don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. You still want to get like people listening to the, to the song. So yeah, I'm very excited by this and, and, um, it's definitely the fav my favorite music, but listen, I got a huge, like, I love all kinds of music and I do love all our, our pop, more pop kind of stuff as well. So, yeah. Well, did, um, did playing slam dunk, um, have any sort of inspiration on this new guitar Rocky based thing? Because you were my band of the weekend at that slam dunk. You came out fucking unapologetic. I, I said this to Danny and I've said, I said it on podcasts before Danny came on. He was literally the most metal frontman of Slam Dunk. He came out, he was screaming. He was just screaming at the front row and he was like, yeah! And I was like, yeah, this is fucking it. This is what we want. There's so many bands that were at Slam Dunk who have been inspired by McFly. Just to see that crowd there was, yeah, how was that for you? How was playing Slam Dunk to those goths? Yeah, it was amazing, man, because... Like before Slam Dunk, like, oh shit, we're playing Slam Dunk, what the fuck? And, you know, if we're honest, like Danny and Dougie, I'm understandable, like I questioned it, but they were like, I think we should play like this song and that song, like some of our heavier stuff. And me and Tom were like, like, I get why you're saying that, but 
we should play hits. Like, trust me, like, I know it's scary going out there and playing, obviously, and all about you. And I know you've, like, I think we've been scarred because that kind of audience, when we, when McFly first started, we were like the band for that audience to hate. And so we would get a lot of hate. And uh, looking back, I totally understand that. And so there was always this fear of, like, we're going to get bottled. If we were ever in that scenario, we'll get bottled. We'll get fucking piss thrown at us. And, like, that was always <laughs> our biggest fear. And our first experience with that was, like, 2000. 2009 like our first proper festival we played on believe it or not was the festival and i know that became like a real pop festival but there were a lot of like rock bands and stuff and we were shitting ourselves like and we went out and played a couple of new songs and everyone was just like and then we played all about you and obviously in five and the play it kicked off the tent was rammed and so we were like slam done slightly different it's obviously more of a like a rock audience um and even before we went on stage, Jason Perry was there. And I was like, Jay, just checking. We should play the hits, right? We shouldn't play this song and this song. And he was like, no fucking way. Play the hits. Trust me. So we went out and did it. And it was mad. I mean, there was like dudes with mohawks and skull tattoos. Yeah. yeah. Like, like properly moshing out to like, obviously, like singing <laughs> every word. <laughs> and that was our first like mosh pits and five colors in her hair and like, and that's the thing. It was a lot. It was like an audience of people. Like we've been going twenty years, but a lot of those people were six, seven years old when we first started. And I think that's the thing. Of going back to this album, when you hear our songs live. There's a much bigger energy. Like often, you know, when you hear live music, it's much better. But particularly, I think with us, with the live drums, live guitars, and that's why with this album, we're like, how can we get that same feeling and energy from listening to this record as as close to you can when you're listening to it live? So, yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's the thing. I think you've always been that band, for better or for worse, that you know you can show your nan and you can enjoy with, yeah, but you yeah, can yeah, also yeah. show show you like your nerdy guitar friends or like bond over those kind of experiences. And I think like as as someone again who's someone who's grown up following you guys and listening to your music and growing up with all these different sounds. It's nice to see that you're having those reactions now and can play a slam dunk and then still do shows with people like Lewis Capaldi and just mix yeah. it up. I'm sure it's just, it mess, it, it, yeah, it has its pros and cons. I'm sure it can be very frustrating sometimes, but when you kind of remove yourself from it, it must be just the best of both worlds oh, being well, able yeah, to, to do all those things. Yeah, no, we're so lucky. And yeah, like you said, it can be frustrating. And I think sometimes the reason that maybe it has restricted us a bit Um mm. But yeah, look, we, you know, we always got to remind ourselves how lucky we are that 20 years down the line, we're still able to do this kind of stuff. And, um, I mean, like, honestly, these like, long answers I give you, like, I just, I, honestly, I find myself at like a wedding giving the same answer to someone that's like, oh, so what's happening with your band? Like, you like, you know, like, you know, what's happening with Fly? And I'm like, well, mate, look, basically, right, back in 2008. <laughs> I'm just like, trust me, we're like, because the general public, right, the peripheral is like, oh, yeah, McFly, yeah, no, McFly. And I think we're still there, like, trying to bang on the door, be like, tough me, we're good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, man, I think I'm really excited about this new album, this new tour. Like, honestly, I, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy. The songs are, are awesome. It's, it's, it's my favourite. On that same vein as well, from a drummer's perspective, how different is it being in a band like mcfly because of all those different sounds you've got different styles 
of playing. So like, for example, on this new record, Power to Play, there is a lot of those kind of high tempo, groovy bits where you're being very energetic and there's like heavy metal background. But Wonderland, for an al- for example, is an album where you're just kind of feeling it out a bit more and there's little nuances and you're doing things more in a beautiful manner. Is that being something you've liked over the years that you can kind of explore those different elements of the drums and not just be hitting it insane from from start to finish? Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of the early stuff as well, as you say, it kind of has a, a kind of a swing feel to it, you know, and and that when I joined the band, it, that was completely foreign to me. You know, I just, I was in bands at school just playing like pop punk and like emo covers and stuff. And and so that, that took a long time to like wrap my head around. And, but yeah, I mean, it's, I'm lucky, I guess, because it's given me that wider sort of, you know, exposure to, to different styles. Um, I still say I'm, I'm more comfortable doing the sort of, power to play sound i think i probably enjoy that more it's just more of a vibe actually playing the high tempo stuff i just but you know at the same time like you said that the more nuanced kind of feel and like swung based stuff it's it's fun yeah it's it it takes more yeah a little bit more sort of focus and concentration maybe but i think you know i've been so lucky because one of the biggest things as a drummer i think I'm sure a lot of other, other drums listening that have worked with, with like top producers is purely like simplifying the instrument and, and just being um, just a solid, you know, backbone, as they say, for a band. And I think that's, that's for me the biggest compliment when people have said to me, oh, you know, you're solid, you're a solid drummer, yeah. you know. I've never been great at like flair drumming, like super. I mean, I can do some stuff that seems impressive, but like I sometimes watch other drums and I'm like, fucking hell, <laughs> like, that's incredible. Like I could never do that, but I've always just been so focused, I think, and paranoid of just wanting to help this band sound good that it's always been about just, you know, kick and snare and just, and this maybe sounds a bit pretentious, but when you're playing in arenas, um, <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, listeners, you've all played in arenas. But you know what it's like if you go and see a band in an arena and the drummer's yeah. there, like fucking about with a splash and an eight inch tom, and you're like, what? You can't hear it. Like, it's. But then when you go and see a drummer, like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a band that really made an impression on me. Like, I remember when I saw like Taking Back Sunday or, or like Chili Peppers, like people like drummers like that. It's just powerful like fucking solid like being hit by a train like just kick and snare just in your face but when you hear all the intricate stuff with rock bands it's kind of i don't know it's just not satisfying because ultimately you're you're watching the front man you're listening to the songs and if you're just seeing a drummer just going for it and just providing that solid sound like that's always been my inspiration and i guess my excuse because like i said i'm shit and all the all the impressive stuff not at all. Not at all. Don't talk down on yourself. Yeah, no, you mentioned then talking about um, playing emo covers and pop punk covers growing up. Yeah, what was, who was the first drummer that you um, saw and was like, what? You can fucking do that? You can do that for a living? I, I want to do that. So, so for me, like, it was quite weird. So I went to a boarding school, right? Or what most people would consider like a posh school. Um, but weird, but weirdly, and so like the, the stereotype of like, posh boarding schools is you know 
everyone kind of plays rugby and wears pink shirts and has their collar up. And, and that was a kind of vibe at my school. But weirdly, in my year, there was a couple of people that were really into like Blink and Newfound Glory and bands like that. And so I joined that school when I was 13. And so this guy that was quite, quite a popular guy was into all those bands and I was friends with him. And there was another guy that was, again, quite, quite like influential person that year who was a really good guitarist. And he was into like Chili Peppers and Rage Against the Machine and stuff. And so, and my brother, who was a couple of years above me, he was really into rock music. And so I was just lucky to be around these people that were like wearing these band t-shirts and playing this, these CDs in their, in their bedsits and studies. And I remember the first time I went into my brother's, like we had these bedsits at school, we had our own room. And I went into my brother's room and he was playing Lincoln Park. And I remember just, just like, holy fuck, like, who is this? Like, what is this? This is incredible. And I just was like, I want to play guitar. Like, oh my God, I need to play guitar. So I went and persuaded my parents. I quit the trumpet. And I, <laughs> I was <laughs> swap. I will swap. Straight swap. For the yeah. I was like, I could maybe like start a scar band, but yeah, like, no, I mean, apart from no, less than Jake, on. like, who, apart from less than Jake, who was there really? Um, yeah. Thank God for that. Thank God you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So. I went and had guitar lessons and I kind of sucked. And I was like, this is, I just got taught like good King Wenchless. And I was like, this sucks. And there were so many people in my year that were already really good at drum and guitar. One of them being um, Alex Robertshaw, who's in Everything, Everything. And I was like, oh man, this is like too hard. Guitar. Like it's just hard and I'm just shit. It's not working out. Anyway, I had these two friends, right? A guitarist and a bass player. And they were in a three piece like pop punk band. And the drummer left the band to join a band in his year. And these two guys, Tom and Josh, they were really bummed out. The drummer left and they used to go down to this basement at school and, and rehearse and he used to just go and watch them. And the first time I went down the, that, when they didn't have their drummer, I was kind of sat on the kit and they were like just playing these songs. And I, I was like, ooh, I was like, guys, maybe I could like learn the drums. So I, um, yeah, I got a lesson from a guy in my year. Um, and that was it. Like the first time I played the kind of simple drum beat, just, dum, dum, dum. I was like, oh, fuck yeah, this is so cool. You know? <laughs> and literally, as soon as you can go, dum, 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 you know, you can join the pop punk band. Within a couple of weeks, I was like playing newfound covers and blink songs. And, and that was it. I was completely obsessed. And yeah, that was kind of how I got into that. And like I said, weirdly, in my school, there was this kind of scene, you know, which I think is so weird before streaming and before like YouTube and, and all this stuff. There's these American like pop punk, like emo scene that's kicking off in this like boarding school. In <laughs> you know, it's incredible. Um, and my CD collection was just full of all these like American bands. And, and that's kind of when I, when I went down to the McFly audition randomly there was like 100 200 people in this queue and and me and dougie just happened to be the first two people in the queue and i was wow. wearing a starting i was wearing a starting line t-shirt and dougie was like this little 15 year old and he's like oh he's like oh he's starting line he's like do you go to their gig the other week <laughs> that's the best that's the best dougie impression i've ever heard <laughs> Mate, watch watch videos of dougie when he's younger he's literally like all right like now he's like well you know and I was like, 
I didn't even know you could fucking go to gigs when I was like 15, 16. I was like, I was a boarding school. And I was like, uh, no, I didn't, oh, no, I missed that gig. Yeah. Uh, but I had the t-shirt. Um, and so we kind of connected there. And that was, yeah, that was how I kind of got into wanting to play music. Yeah. That's Amazing. crazy. So, yeah. yeah, I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know about the auditions. So was, for the auditions, was, was, it's kind of like based around Tom or was it just literally auditions no, so, for a band completely? So let me give you a long winded answer that I'll digress and not actually end up answering this <laughs> question. Um, <laughs> yes. So, this, is, this is what podcasts are for. Yeah. So basically Matt and James started Busted. They held auditions. Uh, Charlie and Tom originally got chosen to be in that band. Tom was in that band for like 24 hours. The producer didn't really like his voice. He said he had a bit of a lisp and they were like, Charlie's a fucking superstar. So they ditched Tom. Yeah, they ditched Tom after like 24 hours. The management were like, look, we'll stay in touch. You know, we think you're great. Like, go away, write some songs. They eventually got back in touch with him. Tom met Danny through that management, obviously had busted. They were, they were hugely successful. The record label then asked the management to put together like a boy band, singing, dancing boy band. So Tom would go around the country with the that management team filming these boy band auditions uh, just as a bit of extra cash. And Danny turned up to one of these boy band auditions. So he claims he didn't know us for a boy band and he turns up with his guitar and he's like, oh yeah, I was like singing Verve songs and like Oasis and all these guys were singing Backstreet Boys and doing these dances and like stretching in the queue. And I was like, what the fuck is this, man? Um, <laughs> and... and um, but obviously, Danny was great. The record label loved him, and they, they wanted him in this boy band. Um, but the management were like, oh, Tom, this guy's cool. Like, and they got them to meet, and Tom and Danny started chatting. And, and basically, long story short, the management said, look, Danny, the record label want you in this boy band. You can join this boy band, sign a record deal. Um, there's no guitars. You've got to learn to dance a bit, but they want you. Or you can team up with Tom. There's no record deal. Just, he's just a guy who likes playing guitar and writing songs. Take your pick. And Danny chose to work with Tom, right? So that's how McFly started. Tom and Danny, Tom and James Bourne had already been writing some songs. Tom had written some songs for Busted's second album. And they'd written these more Beach Boysy kind of Beatlesy songs that they were like, this isn't quite right for Busted, but this could be for your project, Tom. Um, one of them being a song called, a bit of trivia, called That Thing You Do, which is on Busted's second album, which does sound a bit like a McFly song, uh, song, which was supposed to be a McFly song, but I think Charlie and Matt wanted it. Oh, wow. So that was then, that's how McFly started. Danny joined in, heard these songs, started writing a bit. I think then wrote Room on the Third Floor, Five Colors in a Hair, Obviously, That Girl, songs like that. And during the process, tried to find a drummer and a bass player. They tried out a couple of people, nothing worked. But the management just carried on the process. They were they demoed these songs. They'd taken them to record labels. They got offered record deals. They picked Island Records. And they were like, right, at this point, we can hold auditions with the weight of Island Records behind us. Island Records, artists looking for a drum and a bass player. And that's where me and Dougie stepped in. Obviously, Danny and Dougie, sorry, Tom and Danny, like weird looking dudes, they needed they needed a bit of because <laughs> <laughs> um, I was fucking average on I was average on the drums so like and Dougie was even worse on the bass 
You can't have them. Yeah, you can't have them uggos front in a band on their own, <laughs> right? You've got to get the models in. I know. And someone's in. Fuck um, yeah. No, so anyway, then, then yeah, like me and Doug, me and Dougie then got in through this audition and like, I was actually just talking to someone about this the other day. Like it's total like fluke that we all get on, got on well enough to, to fucking carry on for another 20 years you know it's a yeah. fucking brilliant it's a brilliant story because we could have so easily just been like these are better yeah 100 so, oh, yeah. yeah but for the way for it to click and the way like to transport it to what it is now and the friendships you've made between each other and all that like it's crazy to think that's how it started and and here it is today yeah and that's the thing like, i literally told my parents i was like oh i've been i'm in the band they picked me and they were like what like oh shit you know and i was at this good school and they were like you're gonna be captain of the cricket team you know you can't leave school and, and i was like yeah i was like and they were like basically like we don't want you to leave and i was like look if you don't let me i'll never forgive you it's like some solid emotional blackmail from the mm, yeah that, that's deep i felt i felt that then i felt that yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> literally two weeks later i'm 17 i'm the youngest of three and my mum she didn't take me and I know now why, but two weeks later, my dad was driving me up to London with my, my duvet and my suitcase up to the band house in North London where Tom and Danny had signed this massive like record deal and just been like at a five bedroom house, attached house in North London. We're like, yeah, we'll have that one. And I'm just moving in. And two weeks later, Dougie moves in and it's like, sweet. Like, there's four dudes in a house. Like me and me and Doug obviously barely knew them, and that first sort of year was just like us just going to the studio, like rehearsing over and over again, like going to recording studio. I'd never been in a recording studio, just suddenly in recording studios, and I left school and was just yeah in this band. And then eight, like seven, eight months later, we were on tour with Busted, and and then Five Colors and Hair went to number one. It was like wow. literally. Yeah, yeah. That is a fuck. Oh, Joe, I've gone cold. I've gone cold thinking about that. What a fucking great story. Yeah. What do you think you would be doing if you hadn't um, emotionally blackmailed your parents? <laughs> Mate, I, so honestly, I, I, I'm at this stage in life where I genuinely like contemplate that question. I just don't know, man. Like, I'm so grateful for McFly because I just think like I'm one of those people that just don't think, I just think I'd have, not been ready for life in my 20s. Like I've seen a lot of my friends, it's like you, you finish school at 18 and some people you like go to uni and then suddenly you're expected within the space of four or five years to be like really mature and have a job and like expect to want to care about responsible things. Like I didn't, I was lucky to have, to almost just have responsibility and be able to do something that I love. And yeah, otherwise, man, I, I just don't know. Like, I mean, I hate to admit it, but I think I'd have probably... It's so boring, but I think I would have suited to being an estate agent. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just think, like, I'm not, I'm not that academic. I'm not that academic. I'm not... I was good at sport at school, but not good enough to do it, like, professionally. And I'm there. I've just slagged off estate agent so you don't have to be academic. But I just feel like I like houses. I don't know. I, I'm always, like, like, realistically, what would I have done, like... I just don't know, man. Well, thanks for the because, yeah. Same with me. Well, to, to this day, I still don't know what I want to do or what I am. So that's the thing. It's like, like you said, like you said, you've got that period in school where people are like, 
right, choose your exams because you you know you need to know what you need to go on to do for the thing yeah. you want to go on to do. And it's like, I remember being in school and being like, oh, I'm not sure what I want for fucking lunch, let alone fucking <laughs> yeah. what I want to do for the rest of my life after this. I also don't think I cared. Like there was like a careers advisor at school and, and this is probably terrible advice, but I didn't even go, to, I didn't go to the careers advisor appointments. I didn't even think, I was like, what's a, what's a career? What's a career? Like I didn't care. Like I was just too busy having fun and like being in a band. I loved playing the drums, being in bands, playing like gigs at school. And I loved playing cricket and sport. And that's all I really cared about. I would have probably like gone on a gap year, gone to uni, just had more fun. And it, look, everyone's different. So when I meet younger people that are really like, oh, I want to do this. I love this. This is what I want to do. I think, wow, God, you're, you're so lucky that you have that mindset. But I'd say to the people that don't know, like, please just don't worry. Like, obviously you need some sort of responsibility. But I mean, for me, I'd be saying to my children, like, hopefully I can, they can be in a position where they can just explore different opportunities and, and have fun in their 20s and just kind of not feel like you know they have to sort of get a job and get a you know go down that route that i guess is expected of a lot of people so because everything happened so fast with the band taking off was there a moment where it all kind of hit you and you were like oh this is actually my thing now like i'm a drummer in a successful band we've got number ones like this is what we're doing like was there a moment where it all hit you or anything you remember being like, whoa, like I, I've got, how have this happened? How have I got myself in this, in this situation? I think for me, um, there was always a kind of feeling of, for quite a while of like, yeah, of like, I think it's known as like imposter syndrome of like, I'm this drummer in a band, but like, I'm not really like, I'm kind of this feeling of like, Okay, I guess insecurity of like, shit, like, I'm not really supposed to be here. Like, I've completely fluked it, you know. Whereas, Tom, you know, Tom and Danny are like exceptionally gifted, you know, in music. They are both, you know, it's the first time when I joined the band, I heard two amazing singers, both in really great guitarists, been playing since the age of four or five. And it was like they were born to do it, right? And equally with Dougie, it's all he'd ever loved, it's all he'd ever cared about. And, you know, admittedly, he's had to maybe work a bit harder at, you know, his, his instrument and but he's a singer. He's, it's all he's ever wanted to do or known and he's got a natural gift for it. And I think for me, I'd always had my, um, what's the word? Like my identity growing up, like the teenager was in success within like sport. And, and I just found this place in music and being in a band and, when you're a teenager, like what comes with that is how you dress and how you like identify and how it makes you feel. It's not just playing the instrument, it's being part of a kind of, of a group of people. And suddenly then being in McFly, like I think me and Dougie definitely connected on that level. But then suddenly you're in McFly, you're in a band, which feels good, but then also you're in a, this pop band that's being certainly perceived in a certain way. And then you're a drummer, but you kind of feel like oh, I'm not really good enough to be doing this. And, fill out your debts and and so there, i think it was quite it was a very exciting period but also it took a few years to kind of settle into being in mcfly and feeling comfortable with it and feeling like yeah this is my place now um and also unlike the other three like i'm, I'm so lucky i had such a, i loved school and i i had such a good group of friends from school and so there were times in the first three four years in mcfly where we were so 
busy. Like we would just, we'd get a couple of weeks off at Christmas. Um, but the rest of the time we were just busy, like flat out. And I see my friends being 18, 19 and just having no responsibility, just having a, having a great time. And I was missing, it's not, it's hardly a fucking sob story, right? I was missing 18th birthday parties, but like, I did feel a bit like, but you know, like I was just, I was, I did feel like in a way I was missing out just, and this pressure of being this band the whole time and like being super busy and also suddenly being like famous and people having an opinion on you and wherever I went, like particularly, you know, you're related to this. Like when you go back home, right, Sean, and everyone's like, oh, it's, oh, it's Sean and it's Sean from the Blackout. It's yeah. like, it's always Harry, like, and people, and you just feel like shit, like you're under the microscope. And I, I did find that hard, which I think is weird because as a, as a teenager, I was, I, I kind of liked attention. Like I, I was quite outgoing and like I, I liked attention, but then suddenly when it was like really on me, I think I was like, well, shit, this is, I think my, my go-to is like, I want people to like me. So I, I think I spent so much energy and time, like just trying to prove to people that I wasn't changed from fame and I was kind of normal and, and so, yeah, to answer your question in a very long-winded way, um, I think I kind of, like, settled into it, I think, more in, like, my 20s. You know, I, I, the early days of McFly, like, I was just, it was like I was at uni. I, I, feel like I was just a stoner. Like, it, I, I was a stoner living in a, in a band house with three mates that I kind of really got on with. And we were having the success. It was like, oh, we're number one, great. I can get stoned. Like, that was, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> We didn't, we didn't like going to like clubs and all that shit. Like it was not our scene. That was not the kind of scene of someone that was into like that style of like the music that we'd kind of grown up with. It was like going to, going to gigs and going to pubs and going to that kind of vibe. Um, so yeah, that was, it was a strange time kind of, yeah. Settling, settling into it. How long did the band house last? That lasted for like two and a half years, I think. Yeah, two and a half years. Um, and then we moved into a into a big flat, like all, all together, the four of us, like this massive apartment, which was um, not far from the band house, but it was like, it was weirdly like where some like Arsenal football players lived and like Girls Aloud lived there, Buster did live there. What? And like, over the years, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like over the years, like, I think like One Direction might have been there eventually. And like, it was this place, it was like this gated community. Oh. So it was like, yeah, yeah. We sometimes see like Cheryl Cole in the car park. We're like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's strange, isn't it? I went to, um, yeah, I went to one of James Arthur's apartments once and um, I was there and I was like, I recognize this apartment. Where do I recognize it from? And it was an old Jesse J clip of her singing in a bedroom. Really? And I was like, do you guys just all just swap houses like at the end of a fucking six <laughs> yeah, month contract? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you all like, I'll take that on Jesse. I'll have a go now. I'll have that room now. <laughs> like it's, it's just mad. How glad are you that that band house wasn't filmed? Because if it was today, it would be its own reality TV show. Oh, There'd be definitely. viral clips online. I bet you're glad that you escaped that a little bit. <laughs> Mate, well, yeah, we'd have been cancelled within like a week. <laughs> you know, like, I think in a way at the time it would have been amazing to have a, like access to social media and because you know in a way it's like a, a very i think the success that we had in the uk often if bands have that success in the uk it can translate quite easily internationally now because because of you know spotify and like youtube yeah. and tiktok and stuff 
but also it allowed us to just you do, you do your work and your promo through magazines and TV, and then you can go home and just it allowed us to just kind of be students, if you like, for those few hours that we'd be at home. Yeah. Well, Harry, as we start to uh, wind down on this conversation a little bit now, uh, there's a few things I did want to talk about, and bit of a stupid question, but I feel like a lot of people would be annoyed at me if I didn't ask you about this. 2008, uh, speaking of going internationally, you know, you went over to uh, America and uh, filmed Just My Luck with Lindsay Lohan and Chris Prine, I believe. That's right. That experience must have been insane as a as a youngster, but then seeing what you've gone on to do outside of the band with stuff like Strictly and a lot of presenting work and stuff like that, was that experience kind of a, a green light for, for those kind of things? I mean, how was it? And do you think like you took away a lot from making an appearance in a, in a big film like that to, to other work you do today? Is that a long-winded way of saying, did you have sex with Lindsay? Like no, that? no. I wasn't going to bring that. I wasn't bringing that up. But generally, even though he wasn't thinking that, right? I'm the dirtiest minded person on earth. Like I'm so, I'm sorry. I'm just so used to like people. But no, no. So first of all, I I have to, I have to bring it up because I make I Mean Girls is one of my favorite films, and I make reference to it all the time. I'm literally drinking from a Mean Girls inspired cup thing. Mate, it's a great film, great movie. No, so actually. Actually, it was 2005 that we went out there. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we joined, the band started in summer of 2003. And then we had um, first album, first tour. And it was during Wonderland. And if I'm honest, like, that was, I think I've talked about this a little bit. Um, but that was a really weird, like, very difficult time for me because as I alluded to, you know, I kind of was a bit of a stoner, I was a stoner and got to the age of about 19 and that kind of substance abuse, if you like, amongst other things, kind of came to a head, right? Um, Just before we went out to America to film this film. And so I was actually in a really dark place. Like the first time I'd like experienced real difficulty with anxiety and panic attacks and like all kind of induced from my um my what's the yeah misbehavior i don't know <laughs> um and so it was a really weird time so what should have been like this really exciting like this is mental we're in a hollywood movie like it was more like survive like shit what, like what am i going through like I, I spent most of that time just like with my manager just kind of trying to get through the days like it was really dark time so it was and I, I was very like i was really ill and to the point where my manager was like you know you need to go back to london and go go to the priory and as bad as it was i remember just feeling this this responsibility of like i i bought this one myself like i need to get through this because we're filming a fucking hollywood movie and it's a great opportunity for the and I've just got to get through it. And so it was a bit of a blur, like it was a bit, you know, it wasn't until I kind of got better that I was able to look back on it and be like, wow, that was amazing, you know. So it wasn't like at the time I was like, great, it's an amazing opportunity. It was like, I was actually just like in survival mode, really. So 
yeah, so for the other guys, I mean, I think they, they sort of had a good time, but it's a um, very strange time for me, you know. Like, yeah, so, I mean, I've kind of talked about it in the past, but it's, you know, that's a good thing about podcasts is that you have time to actually yeah. go into these things. Like, when you're on TV, you literally have like three or four minutes and you can be having a really vibey interview and then they're like, okay, no, moving on. And you're like, yeah. Well, I know, I know. Yeah, you've just, you've just fucking bled your heart out to them and they've gone, yeah. oh, well, I know it's time for Ainsley Harriet. Yeah, <laughs> hey, bloody cooking. Uh, yeah, exactly. fucking calm down. Yeah, and also you, you kind of, and also naturally they, they'll just like pick up on the, the kind of tagline of like, I was in a really dark place and, you know, and it, it dramatizes it. And it's like, I don't want to go there. I don't even want to yeah. talk about no, it. But yeah, yeah, it was, it was a weird, weird time. And, um, actually like a transitional period for me in terms of like giving up doing all those things and like finding my way into life of like, wow, okay, that's not me anymore. Like, so yeah. And that was, that was just around, like just after that America filming that movie. And then, we did uh, the Wonderland tour and things started to sort of sort themselves out around there. So man, yeah, it's like not got a really interesting answer for that. It's all just mad. a bit like, yeah, mad. Yeah. Well, I, I, pre- I appreciate, I appreciate everything you've just said and, and uh, answering anyway, but yeah, I, I already asked the question because I know people would be like, you should have asked him about that film because I like that film a lot. And as I said, they make so many Mean Girls references on this over the years. Yeah. Uh, and also years. actually the film, the film was a big reason for why we've got a, got a following in, in America and South America because, you know, we recently, I mean, Dougie was kind of delving into like, how have we got this big following in Brazil? It's just, why? I don't understand. Because again, it was, bef- it was before like social media, before streaming. And, and a lot of Brazilian fans are telling us that like, Just My Luck was often played after school, just like weekly. And so they just see this, like, who's this band McFly, you know? And, and so, yeah, I think that's why we've got a bit of a following in, in America and South America. That's wow. mad, isn't it? Wow. Well, did you yeah. ever think, um, did you ever think like doing things like Strictly or Dougie doing the jungle? Did you ever think for a moment like that could be the end of the band? Because that was a problem I had. Um, I got asked to do a Big Brother. And my whole thing was if I go on and do Big Brother, what normally happens is after that, you go on to be a star for about fucking six months yeah. and then the, yeah. your band's doomed. But yeah, was there, did that ever cross your mind or was because McFly on the back burner at the time you didn't mind? Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Well, like at the time, I think I remember being, we were asked and I was like, no, no way. Like I would basically done the children in need special, right? Because they were like, oh, we need a, we need, we're doing like a pop stars one, like McFly versus the Saturdays. So it was like one member of McFly versus a member of the Saturdays for Strictly Come Dars and Children in Need special. And we were on tour at the time and I genuinely didn't really, I'd heard of Strictly, but I didn't know what it was. And I was like, oh, could we go on and do it? Like, could me and Dougie do it and like dance together and make it like this comedy thing? And like, that would be funny. And, and, um, but I was like, no, no, I was very much like, no, I'm, I'm a drummer in a band. Like, I'm not doing that. And then also I was comfortable just like being in a band because I don't want to like put myself out there like that. And, and then on the tour bus, I'd like had a few beers. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> I can fucking yeah. dance. I can come to eight. Literally, I can yeah. eight. <laughs> I know. So then I did that, I did that children in need special. It was absolutely terrifying. You know, like when you do a performance, you're like, I'm talking the most extreme cotton mouth, like, like, yeah. <laughs> and like just shaking with nerves. It was horrible. And it finished. And I was like, I am never putting myself through that ever again. Anyway, because it kind of went quite well, they asked me to do the show. I kept saying no. I was like, don't don't want that. Don't want to put myself out there like that. Dougie had been asked to do I'm a Celebrity. And me and him at the time, I remember we talked to two of us and we were like, dude, I don't want to do it. And he's like, mate, I don't want to do it either. Like, oh God, I'm terrified. Like, I just don't want to do it. And my, our manager sort of was not pushing us, but was just kind of kept saying he thought we should do it. Little did we know, Maybe we did, but I think he was sort of thinking, right, it's 2010. Maybe McFly tickets aren't selling like they were in 2006 or album sales are down slow. I don't know. Mate. I think he was thinking, like, we've got to keep another hook now. Like, what's the next thing? We were just still like, no. And Tom was also really keen for me to do it. He was really pushing. He's like, dude, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Dougie, you've got to do it. It'll be amazing. And we eventually kind of got persuaded. And I remember so clearly, we stood outside Tom's house, me and Dougie, having a smoke, like, and we were just sat there, it was raining, and um, we were chatting, and we'd said yes to it, and we were both just, like, talking about how terrified we were. And then I think I said to Dougie, as, when, as he was about to leave, he was, like, the next day going off to Australia, and I was like, dude, as if we both won, though, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> and he sort of smiled and was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, right. What turned out to, like I said, to be this terrifying uh, thought and like, oh, I don't want to do it, this negative thought process, it actually turned out to be a really important moment for me because I was suddenly, it went really well. I kind of, I really enjoyed it. I sort of was able, I was given this amazing opportunity to like perform in a different capacity. And actually I was, I was quite I was good, you know, and I was like, okay with that. I was like, this is, nice like and people were enjoying it and i was getting a praise and like wow you're really good and that and to be honest that felt really good whereas you know in the past 
you know, being the drummer in the band and sometimes feeling like that imposter syndrome and feeling not good enough and to suddenly be appreciated, not appreciated, but also fe or feeling like, oh, okay, I do belong in this entertainment space. Like, oh, okay, like I have got some talent to give. Um, it was a quite a, um, I can't think of the word, sort of fulfilling or, or, or like made me, lifted my self-esteem. It made me feel like I kind of did belong. Um, and I think for Dougie as well, who was, you know, I'm a celebrity, it's just kind of a weird one because it does feel a bit like a popularity contest. And But Dougie is such a likable, genuine, amazing guy. And and so it does feel like that deserves praise because he, he was being judged and he's a, he won that. People fell in love with him. He's, a, he's such an amazing dude. But, you know, the reality is he didn't like it so much. He didn't does not like the attention like that. Hates it, in fact. Um, whereas I fucking love it. So I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, um, but it gave me that, I think it kind of gave me that confidence and then gave me opportunities to like be more like, you know, presenting and, and, you know, I then went on to do like a West End show and, and I think that just gave me confidence and that felt of feeling of achievement as well. That I can mm. look back and go, okay, I've done that. And now I'm having children being like, oh, daddy did this. Yeah, But at the same time, it was kind of difficult because I think I was torn because it was also like, but I still have this identity of like radioactive McFly of where we want to be serious, like pop rock band. And I think Dougie and Danny, who I know they do, like at times we find it hard and strictly things. Like, oh, and strictly, because it it's more commercial. It's more, you know, so again, going back to that initial conversation is balancing that of like making the most of that huge like platform and commercial appeal, but then also staying true and gaining respect and credibility that you want from your peers. And so, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's difficult. It's, it's a bit like with I'm a celebrity and Dougie just decided to sort of turn his back on it and doesn't, he doesn't now do hardly any, um, anything unless it involves the band really. Yeah. Well, Harry, we super appreciate this conversation and, and how honest so. you've been throughout this. Thank you so much, man. Um, one last question before you go, because I know you, the wife and the kids are probably going to be very angry at <laughs> you for, uh, for <laughs> carrying on chat, chatting to us. But I want, um, if you can, I'd like you to give me two songs. One that is one that you think may be a bit underrated McFly song or has gone under the radar, maybe something you wish had a little bit more attention was a single and one from the new album, Power to Play, that you can't um, wait for people just to check out and listen to? Um, oh, that's a difficult one. Okay, so Power to Play, I'm looking forward to uh, people hearing a song called Land of the Bees. It's like McFly delving into a bit of, I call it prog pop. It's like, nice, you know, like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just... Pop aggressive, pop aggressive, pop aggressive. We've just come up with a genre. You've just got a genre. Pop aggressive. But it's like, but it's, it's just, but it is rock, but it's like, it's, yeah, man, it's just such a tune. I, like, I, I remember when we were recording it, I was like, I can't believe this is going to be our song. I can't believe we're allowing ourselves to do <laughs> wow. this. Like, there's this like bit in the middle section where there's, there's like three or four different riffs in it. And there's this like sort of breakdown, like halftime bit. And, and I was like, well, we could, do it in seven and we could the guys like yeah that's cool and I was like oh my god I can't believe we're doing this <laughs> um, so yeah I can't wait for you to hear that um, and then the fly songs that are underrated um, 
they're all overrated, mate. So I just let me just go on Apple Music. No, I'm always picking up my bands. Bands take the piss out of me. They're like, oh, you're the biggest McFly fan out there. No, you're not, because that's Morgan. <laughs> yeah. Is it? Okay. <laughs> Do you know what? Um, I love this song called Hyperion, which is um, on our, I mean, it's the baseball. It's not, fans don't, I think we don't really consider it an album. I like to consider it an album. It's called, it's from a collection of songs called The Lost Songs, which are yeah. the songs I was talking to you about from 2011 when I was finishing Strictly Dougie had come out of the jungle they went to Wales the three of them and wrote Red Touch the Rain We Were Only Kids Hyperion and Day to Move which are and, and a song called Break Me which is six like awesome songs and that's what should have been our sixth album but because of greatest hits McBusted Hiatus just never happened but when we came back from the hiatus we kind of felt uncomfortable making it look like a smash and grab like hey we're back we're doing arenas and we had these songs and it was like well let's just why don't we just drop these and not make too much of a fuss about it at least the hardcore will be being fed you know some new music so yeah if you're listening check out lost songs the first six songs in particular but hyperion is is one of my favorites Class. There we go. There we go. Harry, thank you so much for this. We've really appreciated it. It's been a pleasure having you on. And yeah, I just can't wait for How this new How much have you got to edit it down to? Have you got to edit oh, it? Oh, no, no. Clean, oh, clean, clean up a bit. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But if yeah. you are a listener and you've managed to get through my ramblings, I appreciate you hanging on in there. You must be a McFly fan if you're still listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this is the thing, see? The amount of listeners that we get, number one, probably surprising to you, right? But... <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people message us and go either well this isn't going to be the case with you but a lot of people that say oh i've never heard of that band and then i listened yeah. to the interview and it got me so interested in them and their yeah, life yeah, yeah. that i went and checked out the music and i love it or some people have gone do you know what i went and checked out the music i don't like the music but i absolutely love the story and the person yeah, involved yeah 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 sure well for those of you that if you're if you're thinking of listeners check out power to play um, it's, I, I back it. I raised it, you know, for, for particularly to your listenership, like as a, for me as a rock album, like it, it holds up, like on, in my opinion, you know, so Class. There, we, there we go. I can't wait to hear it. Jason hasn't fucking shut up about it. <laughs> I know, mate. I know. It's, it's very exciting. Yeah. I love it. Exciting. I love it. But yeah, thank you so, so much for doing this. Um, appreciate you very much. Thank you for the music over the years. And um, yeah, it's been fucking absolutely great. And hopefully I get to see you in the flesh very soon. Nice one, boys. Thanks for having me on. Yes! That is Harold Abraham Jacob Judd live on Sapling Podcast. And yes, I definitely made those middle names up. I have no idea what his middle name is. (laughs) It's got to be Harold. His first name's got to be Harold, doesn't it? Like, what can he else can... Har... 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 Han... Han... Harness? Uh, is it... Uh, his name is Harness, Judd? Harin... Harin... Harinus? Harinus? Harry... Harril... Anyway, yes, what a great episode. Thank you very much to Harry for coming on. Thank you very much to McFly's team for letting Harry come on apologies to harry that his life 
has taken such a terrible turn that he has to come on the podcast and nobody listens. Why even go on it? No one's going to yeah, listen no to it. Well, no one's listening to this right now, are they? You know, if you are no. listening to this somehow... I do not. And you're not. Uh, share it in all your Instagram stories. Retweet it. Put, t- post about it. Tell people. I tell because- you what they could do. I tell you what they could do. If you are n- listening to this now, right? Post in your Instagram stories on Twitter, on Facebook. Tag us, right? At Sapling Pod, at Sean Smith Sucks, at Emmett Richards underscore, right? And yeah, tag us with, I haven't listened to this, right? <laughs> because I want to know how many people are not listening to this right now. So Hey, the joke that keeps on giving. But no, honestly, I appreciate McFly and their team so much for trusting us to do these episodes. The Danny one was, was great, but this chat with Harry was so insightful for different aspects and different reasons. And I'm excited to get inside more of their different perspectives and own stories with hopefully a couple of the, uh, hopefully with the rest of the guys as we go on but yeah just a band that always deliver musically always try to do something different and it's just great to see that they're getting all this extra love within the rock community and people nice, with emo yeah. influences and, and well, stuff these time. days it's about time they've literally it's been long enough now that they are literally an influence on the pop punk scene, whether you like it or not. And so congratulations to the boys for fucking finally getting their flowers. Well, they're not. The problem is they're not. They're, they're still not being appreciated enough, but we love them. We had a great time with Harry. Um, just to say any Sun reporters listening to this, don't fucking use a <laughs> second of this. You absolute fucking cretins, right? Please don't quote us. Stick it up your ass. Um, the Mirror and the Guardian fire away that's the thing every time we have a member of McFly on the quotes from the, the episodes go around all the tabloids it happened with Danny it happened with Dougie in our really really early episodes um, so maybe we'll be everywhere again but if you are if you are a reporter trying to nick quotes from this and sell it on to people um, give us a portion of that please and you can do that by going over to patreon.com yes that's happening yes or just yeah paypal me the money direct yeah <laughs> or just giving us the cash in hand yeah yeah, yeah it's come to one of the many festivals festivals we're at this summer and hand us 20 pounds yeah each each mind not oh, of between course, each, each. Yeah. Fuck we're not fucking yeah. maniacs like yeah Oof, 20 pound in a festival Drink and a half. I couldn't buy a look at a bottle of water for 20 quid. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, oh, I went to, I uh, don't want to slag off venues, but I went to a venue in London last night. I paid £11 for a drink and uh, chips. All to see a girl called Melissa Miming. Hey, well, hey, now, don't make she things were, too complicated. She, she, she was... Definitely mind him from the videos I've seen. <laughs> Have you seen, was she was I was, there. was it? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I know, but I've seen videos of it and she was my min. Was she my min? Not for all of it. Ah Yakavi. Anyway, yeah, patreon.com forward slash Sapmin. Um we we're gonna we've got bonus podcasts and episodes going up there more regularly these days as well. There's also playlists, there's loads of behind the scene elements and some secrets about some previous guests that have been uh, on before. But you get involved with a huge community of people. Loads of them have booked tickets to go and see McFly on this tour in different venues. So if you need people to meet up with, get involved. Patreon.com forward slash Sapnin. 
and meet the community. Also, if you're a fan of any bands that I'm involved with, that's any bands I've been involved with, and you'd like to know stuff first, the Patreon finds out first. So, you know, we're doing a local gig June the 5th in Merthyr Tidville, and uh, the Patreon knew first. So if you'd like to get in on these fucking things and get information before anybody else, check out patreon.com forward slash happening. Um, that's it, isn't it? Well, if you head to the description, you see loads of names there that we do thank and we love very, very much. But as always, Sean is going to give a mahoosive shout out to the elite members of our Sapling Podcast Patreon community. Those are the people in the top tiers. Yes, thank you very much. Kylie Wheeler, Mayumi Liwoway, Janelle Caston, Paul Hirschfield, Tony Michael, Scarlett Charlton, Dilly Grimwood, Kelly Irwin, Natasha Morris, Nathan Croshaw, Emma Barber, Mitch Perry, Sammy G, Kat Bess and Dana Lasnova. Jenny Robinson, Murray Grimwood, Scott Jones, Amy Dawson, Amy Louise, Stuart McNaught, Ellen Southfield, Stephen Aston, Caroline Robinson, Kate Patek, Louis Cook, Carl Pendlebury, Danny Eaton, Martina McManus, James McNaught, Jenny Munster, Jason Aredia, John and Emma, who we'll be seeing at the uh, the end of this month. Thank you very much. Emily Perry, M. Evans Roberts, Craig Harris, Evan, Sean Fines, Kalila Keen, Adam King of the Goss Parcelo. Go back and check out our podcast with the Nightmares. Thank you very much. Ollie Amesbury, Josh, crime in multi-story car parks. That's wrong on so many levels, Crisp. Thank you very much. Alice Wood, Reese Bowring, Cal David Smith, and Connor Lewins. Thank you very much to all of those people. Everybody in the description, everybody who's ever been part of the Patreon. If you're thinking about becoming part of the Patreon, fucking, in the words of Nike, fucking go on, man. <laughs> yeah, that's the slogan. That's everywhere. Fucking go on, man. F- yeah. Fucking come on, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, thank you for listening it's to this. Um, it's go on, man. Go on, man. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm making that t-shirt. I'm going to get go a on. font. Go on, man. Go on, man. Go on, man. <laughs> go oh. on, man. In the Nike font. Check out soon. on. <laughs> check Follow at Sapping Pod on Twitter and Instagram. It'll probably be up here soon. Hopefully. On, Fingers man. crossed. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for everyone to listening. I really, really appreciate it. The uh, McFly fangirl that I am. We never takes these conversations for granted. It's a massive shout out to the team again. And we'll be back next week and every Friday with new episodes, a very special guest and reasons for you to laugh. The next one is one people probably aren't expecting. Um, but until then, love you very, very much. Fuck the sun and enjoy Ooh. summer. Watch out for global warming. Oh, yeah. That's- <laughs> I don't fucking, I don't know why. I, I, I couldn't watch out for it. Just lock it up. I don't check anyway. the weather up and then the weather the weather up to be wrong. Yeah, it's happening. Bye. You're listening to Sapling Podcast with Sean Smith and Morgan Richards. Thank you very much for downloading this podcast or streaming it or I don't I don't know what else you do with podcasts. Um thank you very much. <laughs>